Welcome to Table Talk, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the dynamic and exciting restaurant world. We sit down with industry leaders as they share best practices, highlight smart solutions, and discuss strategies for growth, ultimately helping food service operators learn how to affect positive change and grow their business. Now, here is your host, editor and publisher of Food Service and Hospitality Magazine, Rosanna Kyra. Welcome to our Table Talk podcast in this special series of COVID-19 focused discussions. Today, I'm really happy to be interviewing the two dynamic partners of Branding and Buzzing, a leading Toronto agency specializing in marketing with a special focus on social media. In their regular day jobs, Marion Sarazenik and Sean Beckingham help suppliers craft messages through their brand partnerships, collaborations, and various different campaigns, helping them to, uh, to get their messages on various channels and through social media platforms. But during this pandemic, at a time when restaurants have been almost decimated, the two partners have also been instrumental in launching a new initiative called Canada Takeout, which is spurring great attention throughout the industry and impacting restaurant sales since its launch about a month ago. So welcome to Table Talk, Marianne and Sean, and, and thank you for making time to be here today during what we know are very challenging times for everyone, but especially the restaurant industry. So first off, how are you both doing through this, uh, through this interesting process? And, and realistically, how are you coping through this unimaginable and challenging time? So I'll, I'll jump in first. Uh, thank you for Rosanna for having us here today. Uh, it means a lot for you to us to have your support um, and, uh, inviting us here. We, uh, we've been like all businesses impacted. However, personally, um, I think that's what's, what's, what I've been blessed is to have the opportunity to continue to work and have a little bit of normalcy in my day. Um, I know that a lot of people have had an abrupt stop. So I think that's sort of been, um, uh, a piece of saving grace for me personally. That's a great point because you're absolutely right. Most people have had, you know, since mid-March basically had their work taken, you know, away from them so abruptly. So, so that's a great comment, um, Marion. Um, Sean, how about you? Uh, it's been a lot of ups and downs. I have to be perfectly honest. It's uh, some days are super highs, you know, especially the Canada takeout has been a great part of the super highs. And then the next day is a super low when you talk to a restaurateur who, it's going to close their doors and has been at it for so many years and just can't see a way to open it up again. And it brings you right to a different spot. Mm-hmm. And to Marion's point, we've been, we've been busier than ever with, with this project. We've been diving right in and doing everything we can to, to, you know, keep the normalcy going. Uh, as far as clients go, I think that we were fast and pivoting uh, with some of our business. Uh, the majority of our stuff that we were doing and the activations that were in real life either were, uh, changed or canceled or postponed, and some have pivoted to digital events. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the stuff, I think, people when everything went down on the fifteenth, I think all of our clients call or the thirteenth, I guess the Friday the thirteenth by the yes. Monday, all of our <laughs> clients had called. Yeah, all of our clients had called, especially those that support this food service industry, and it was unanimous that one, we need to change our messaging. We can no longer be just selling project uh, products during a busy time, but see what that messaging looks like. And then the big overall arching thing is what do we do next? So it's, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but uh, nice to see that it's going to, that we, I feel like we're on the top of the curve or the end of the curve and that things are going to come to whatever that new normal looks like. So Sean, um, tell me a little bit, not, not me specifically, because I know a little bit about your company, obviously, but tell our listeners a little bit about your company because it's uh, it's quite a unique company in a lot of different ways. And some of our listeners may not be as familiar. So uh, tell them a little bit about what you're all about. For sure. So Branding and Buzzing was started in 2011. And if you think way back to 2011 and what the food space looked like, it was sort of the emergence of the independent restaurateurs becoming the stars. Our way of dining had changed where we were starting to go out more and Instagram our food. Actually, Instagram wasn't even around back then. Um, And I had been working in the publishing business and we jumped from... uh, print publishing to online publishing in the in this space. And Marion joined in 2011, and we created this agency, Branding and Buzzing, that really focuses on the food and beverage space. Uh, and we do everything from PR 
to content creation, to uh, and content creation for us is in the recipe space, working with chefs, and it's been a really dynamic, fun ride. Um, just to give you sort of a, the journey since 2011 too, we started off doing restaurant marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chef Mark McEwen was one of our first clients. He had moved his traditional ad spend from print to digital. We were the ones that took it on. And as everyone knows, once you start working with Mark, other restaurants start calling. And we ended up doing restaurant marketing in one shape or form with over 250 restaurant tours. And then something happened around 2016 when brands started looking at us and said, hey, you know all these restaurant tours, all these independents, all these guys that are on Instagram. We'd like to connect our brands to them. And we started doing marketing for brands, marketing to restaurant tours and the food service space. And it also evolved into some more consumer stuff. So we would do on-premise marketing and then move it to um, in real life activations and events and everything believing with the ethos, everything happens on social media for us. We truly believe the stats that 60% of all operators look at their phone 20 times a day for inspiration that everybody's trying to get on digital and social. So we've taken all our techniques and really created this unique little agency down in Liberty Village. Sounds like an amazing story. And, and the fact that you've got 250 restaurant uh, operators uh, working with you, I mean, that's pretty incredible. So kudos to both of you for, for taking this on. And you do a great job at it too. So that's wonderful. How yeah, it's all you- about relationships. And uh, to, to add to that, I think it's our, our business is so social. It's all about building the right kind of relationships for brands and restaurateurs and everyone to work together for a common goal. So sometimes it's, you're working with a restaurant and, and, and marketing them to their end users. And then sometimes you're working with a brand. So it's a real cohesive play to it. So you're working really from both sides of the road here in terms of operators and, uh, and suppliers, which uh, is very unique, actually. Yeah. How has your company been specifically impacted? Because obviously, you know, as you said, when all of this started happening on March 13th, Almost everything dried up instantly. What did you have to do from your company's perspective to pivot um, during this very unique time? Well, I think Marion had a when a lot of what we do is the events component of things, the product knowledge, and as we all know, t- food is all about tasting food. So as much digital and social marketing you can do, getting the food in the hands and on the tongues of the right people is important. So Marion really quickly pivoted to creating digital events. So I think that was a big pivot for us where we've now done a cocktail tasting course. We've done an influencer round table. Uh, we've done a few other zoom calls. Um, so that's been a good pivot. Uh, one of the larger things that's happened for us is the ability to do this telecommuting or whatever the new normal is with it. Our, mm-hmm. our whole team decided on that 13th that they were going to work from home for the next week, which is now who knows how many weeks in. Yeah. Which leads to its own challenges because we're a very creative agency. We are hands-on, Mary and I, on all clients uh, from different parts of it, from strategy creative to right down to mechanics of how a media buy looks. And usually when you're in a group and you've got your media buying team with you and your copywriters there and your graphic designer, you get a, a juice going in the office where everyone is participating. And you can capture that on a Zoom, but you, it's, it's not quite the same. So it's, that's been a big pivot as to keeping the creative vibe and going and pushing forward. So, Marianne, maybe you can um, just, uh, you know, add to the events component of that with your virtual events. I noticed, I think you did a, a whiskey tasting or, or something similar last week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, actually, I'm going to take you back a little bit further than that. We, um, when we, when this first all happened, from an agency perspective, we started to look, I, I looked sort of internally to what our team what was happening to our team before, you know, yes, of course, our clients were impacted, but I was thinking about what can we do and what can we do? What can I do to help our team acclimate to this, this, what we're calling new normal, but at the time was sort of like, like sort of a, um, a standstill. And so we, I, I went forward with creating, cause we also do influencer marketing. So we created an influencer marketing roundtable session on this platform on zoom. And from there, we were able to kind of look at some of the learnings and figure out how we were going to adapt to this way of brand storytelling. And so from there, we then created this, like what you were saying, this whiskey tasting. So with one of our clients, uh, uh, Distilled Spirits Council of America, we created uh, a, um, a sampling where we normally would have done, say, in Toronto and with 
individuals from the GTA, we were able to invite over 50 people across Canada to attend. And so we focused on uh, a number of mixologists, uh, uh, drink enthusiasts, uh, writers that were part of sort of like the paid program component. Mm-hmm. And they were all, and they all received whiskey samples and, and um, a kit that they were able to then taste in from their, from their own space. And then the, all the other people were invited to sort of watch these eight people and the host, which was a distiller from, Washington do the actual tasting. So that was kind of a neat program. And um, we'll be putting up together, we'll be putting a uh, post together and sharing that on Branding and Buzzing shortly. But from a company specifically, I would say that, and to Sean's point earlier, we did have brands asking us to, what are we going to do now? How can we change? And I think we were affected by having to really sit back quickly and think about what is going to be our next move with all of these brands and in this climate. So from a brand perspective and also from a personnel perspective, because a lot of our team members were also, you know, as traumatized, I guess, for lack of a better word, by all of this, by this crisis. So managing both team and brands was an interesting time and was very busy. And as Sean said, a lot of times are very emotional because like, you're like, I need to, I sort of need to be the, the mentor. Sean, I have to kind of be the parents here and figure out how we're going to manage all these individuals at once. So we're now seeing, we're now feeling like we're getting through that Rosanna, but at the time it was very challenging. Well, it's challenging for sure, but I mean, I love the innovation that it sparked from you to, to do this, you know, virtual t- uh, tasting because it's not something that is normally, you know, uh, done in the industry. So, so great, great initiative. Um, from the staffing point of view, did you have to lay off any of your staff or have you still got the full complement? What does that look like? Yeah, we're, we're like, I, that's why I feel so blessed. We're all working and we haven't had to let really anyone go. We, um, we, it was just at the tail end. One of our team members was having a baby. So she, she was, she was leaving us April 1st anyway. In fact, we've hired someone full time. Wow. Um, that's great. Um, because well, yeah, of- and we were, and truth be told, we were a little short staffed as it was going in. Not that any of our clients that are listening were affected by it, but we were <laughs> definitely running a lot of, a lot of hats and we're ready to hire a, a group of people. So it's, it's, it's been good. We've moved stuff around we've seen people that uh, focused on one job only during the normal, the, the pre COVID time. And then just really rise and shine and take on new projects. We've seen such dynamic things happen and it's, it's been, it's been pretty interesting ride so far, but we good haven't laid you. anyone off as of yet. Good for you. That's wonderful. So one of the realities obviously of this pandemic is that it's forced many restaurants to close. Um, some will probably close permanently. Others were able to pivot to take out. And in the early days of this pandemic, uh, Sean, I, I remember you calling me one day and just um, letting me know that you wanted to do something bigger as an initiative to get uh, to kind of galvanize the industry during these challenging days. And um, at the time, you were just exploring various different things. Tell our listeners how this idea came to you uh, about Canada Takeout and um, and really why you focused on this approach as opposed to any other approaches that perhaps you could have done. Sure. Uh, so back to that day, that 15th that came through when all of our clients were calling us and asking us, what are we going to do with our messaging? At the same time, they said, what is happening in the industry? I think one of the very first calls was our, our client McCormick saying, is there something happening? Is what's Restaurants Canada doing? What's so-and-so doing? And there really wasn't an answer at that time, given that it was so new and we were all caught on our heels because nobody knows what's happening. Um, and I kept hearing that over and over again. I was calling everyone like yourself. I called packaging people. I called everybody I knew to find out what was happening. And there wasn't anything that one person could get behind that really supported the industry uh, until the day that the premier in Ontario made um, restaurants essential services. And at that point, I got a phone call from a distributor that I hadn't heard from in a while that we share a client together. But it was it was good old Vince. And he called me about an hour and a half after the premier had come on and said, Sean, we need to get behind our industry right here, right now and support it. I don't care what it is that you do, but let's support the people that are open now. I said, I completely agree, Vince. There's all these at this point, all these fundraisings going on, stay pause, all of which are great initiatives. 
But our laser focus was let's focus on helping the operators who are still open and in business today. And that was where our messaging was, was going to go. So at that point, Vince had said he would go after all of his uh, customers. He's a distributor, went after all of his customers and, and anyone else that he had known to help uh, put this together. We went after our customers. We contacted Restaurants Canada Got and Restaurants Canada. had It was a great conversation with them. They said, you know, you're not the only one doing this out here. There's a bunch of regional things around. Perhaps we can look at make, making Canada take out a national initiative. There's been a lot of great people that have helped along the way. So it's it really has been gathering momentum, but really, really driven by the suppliers. The success of Canada Takeout isn't the success of our agency. It's the success of how the suppliers have really come together to get behind a PR and advertising campaign to really drive awareness. Everyone is open for takeout. Well, it's a great initiative, but um, were, were there any challenges that you've had to deal with in launching this initiative and, and doing so across the country, uh, across industry, you know, various different industry segments? It's not always easy to get, you know, any industry together on one initiative. There's always different fragments. But in this case, it almost came, um, it came across so fluidly. And I wonder, were there any challenges in making that happen? Well, I think it's the biggest thing. Our, our copywriter once said to me during this whole process, he, and I, I said, you know, I'm doing the best that we can to put this thing together. Normally, this would take us two weeks to ideate at the office and jump through all the devil's advocate holes and the rest of it. And then we would have clients sign off on a campaign. And then it would be six to eight weeks pr to produce it. We're coming up on week four of Canada Takeout with six weeks in. So as he calls it, we're building the plane as we're flying. So there's been a couple of Minor hiccups all along the way, but everyone's been very forgiving. Um, I think that, and Mary can talk to managing the personalities of 60 sponsors. Um, but even for us, it's just been phone call after phone call after phone call after phone call, getting people on board and making sure that we're doing the right process and distilling what exactly it is we're trying to do. So onboarding our partners, getting our partners then once they become partners to spread the word to all of their suppliers. And then for us to really spread the word to the consumer to drive them, drive them out there. I know, Marion, did you want to talk to any of the stuff that you've had along the way? Any of the challenges? I, I think that I think that you um, brought up a couple of good points already. I think with I think the most surprising, I just want to circle back to um, when you had mentioned Vince from Affinity Group. So he was really the integral part here, um, and he really deserves the credit because from when we talk about a challenge or from any interesting lessons or anything that I've learned, I think that I've, that the, the most humbling thing that I have that's happened so far is that the kindness, like all the, the wonderful kindness from people. And that when I, when I, when I would have individual conversation with all these partners that have come on board, they have, it's a, this is different conversation that I would have had say pre COVID the conversations I'm having now where people are sort of disarmed, like with these marketing managers, directors, VPs, they're, they're, they're all feeling the same thing that we're feeling and the operators are feeling that, that this is, this has brought us to a different space and a different place of humanity where we can, where we're now addressing, these are all people, not operators and not restaurants. And I think that's been the most interesting thing that I've learned that um, that these are people whose lives are affected. For sure. And everybody, I think, has been able to relate to that, as you say. Yeah. But what's really come out crystal clear to me is just the sense of community that has built in this industry over this initiative, over the, over the challenges, you know, per se. But really, I think this initiative has sparked a really great sense of community. And you see it um, in so many different ways. So I think that's been wonderful to see. And I, you know, I hear you about the supplier community really seems to have been a big supporter of this from the get-go. Um, how are they uh, spreading this information to their networks? What are they doing to, to bring this uh, initiative forefront to the forefront? Uh, they, so part of what they're doing is uh, there's some really interesting things. So I also want to just kind of give one last thing, um, one last point about something that I've learned that super surprised me, uh, which has been amazing, is how 
quickly these partners had been able to come on board. Because normally, like Sean said, this some of the stuff would take months of approval processes. I'm getting like days, sometimes hours, where these brands are saying, we need to do something. We need to mobilize right now. What do we have to do? We'll get you, we'll get you paid up because I understand we because we need we need all of these, we need these funds to keep us going, right, Rosanna? Like these terms, these terms, as you know, these 60, 120 day terms are now being sort of on, they're sort of been put on hold and saying, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna support this with you today and, and continue to fund it today. So I think that the way from that, what they're doing is they're saying, so now that we're we're supporting this from a partner perspective, they have incredible databases, right? Of both the end from the customers to the operators, to the sales teams, to brokers, to distributors. So they're, they're blasting their databases with, with our campaign communication messages. They're taking a couple of calls of how with distributors are saying, this has been amazing for our sales teams because now we've been able to get our sales teams back up and running and get them excited and have them some and have give them something to talk about. So what they're doing is now they're taking the because we've one of the one of the initiatives we have is this restaurant map, which we haven't actually yes. touched on yet. And so this restaurant map is is it needs to be populated by the end user or by the distributor or by the partner or by your me who loves to eat out. And we put these mat and we put that and, and, the, and obviously the restaurants, some of them don't maybe don't have the time or have the access to it. We can help uh, populate that. So our partners are going to their operators and they're, they're, they're filling out They're They're asking their sales team, go and go, go find restaurants that are open and let's get them on the map. Let's tell them that we're putting them on the map. So that's been a way that they've been doing this. They've done these e-blasts. They've done these custom sell sheets or sometimes these uh, rebate programs or promos where they're including Canada takeout in their, in their literature, in their communication. So lots of wonderful ways that they're helping out. Sounds pretty amazing. And the fact that they're moving so quickly, I, I think that speaks to, to, you know, everybody's intent to want to help on this. So that's wonderful. Um, there's been an interesting new feature added recently in this whole uh, initiative, and that's um, the partnership, I guess, to some degree with the Great Canadian Kitchen Party to launch music concerts uh, once a week on Wednesday when this takeout initiative is really focused. And that's helping to support this initiative, I think, in a, in a really great way. Um, Sean, maybe can you tell me a little bit about how that came up and how it's really sure. helped broaden the appeal of this initiative and taken it to the next level? Sure. So one of the great partners uh, for Canada Takeout has been Restaurants Canada. And two people have, have really worked hard at it, Brenda and Troy. And Troy's been at this since the beginning, and he has tried every single way he can to figure out how to make more noise around this. And he went through his membership list and realized, so can, uh, which is the Canadian Music Association, mm-hmm. is, a part of the, uh, is a part of Restaurants Canada. So he got on the phone and dug around and found the Great Kitchen Party, which is the former gold medal place, I think we're all kind of familiar That's with. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he brought them to the table and said, "Hey, wouldn't it be great? If we have." And if you got to think back to when this was, this is at the end of March, before all these big concerts actually went down. Elton John hadn't even done his thing because I called Troy <laughs> on the on the Sunday night after and said, "Did you just see that Elton John thing?" And he said, "Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing, right? Is that right?" I'm like, yeah, Troy, that's exactly right. So he had <laughs> brought he had brought the the kitchen uh, party to the table. Uh, they've been a they've been a great partner because they've been able to you know, activate their, their, um, artists and have their artists do takeout and the way mm-hmm. they program and they were able to pivot and program so quickly and did such a great job of production. It was so, if you've seen any of the, I have watched and it's amazing. It's really great. Oh, the first one was incredible to watch Alan Doyle sit on the dock on the edge, edge of our country and have an iPhone and rock back and forth and sing acapella <laughs> to an old Newfoundland song. If that didn't give you heart, or to see member's name in BC pulling out his favorite food from his local place and talking about it, it just it really grabbed it, grabbed at your heartstrings. So it was really a great partnership. You know, food and, and entertainment go really well together. Um, we obviously things as we're talking about flying the plane as we're still building it. We thought we'd be landing by now, but we're, it looks like we're flying for another two months. So we'll be looking at what entertainment looks like on those takeout days. The kitchen party, I know that they've got some great success and they're going to continue to, to do theirs. We'll be looking at other fun things that we can do along the way too, but it's been a really great experience with them. 
So um, I know when I was watching last week, um, they mentioned that they, they were only doing this for a few weeks and now they're probably going to keep doing it. So I, I assume that that's going to go on from that, their end for a few more weeks at least. If I was them, I would be doing it. I think they, like a lot of other people, they've got a whole new business in front of them. And I think exactly. it's been a great, it's been a great opportunity for both of us. There's nothing better that Mary and I like at the agency when you bring partners together and everybody benefits from it. So I think it's been great that we've tapped into their audience. They've tapped into ours. They're now an online concert and every Wednesday. And as long as they're encouraging, we, we have to remember what our ultimate goal is with with Canada Takeout. It is to drive sales every week to see more and more driving sales. If doing a concert with the Great Kitchen Party generates more sales, great. You know, if doing a, a sure. custom press release does it or a customized day, as long as we're driving sales on that ongoing basis. So on that note, on sales, um, you know, from everything I've seen over the last few weeks with this initiative, it's really helped incredibly um, in fueling sales. And I've seen, you know, obviously different stats from, you know, different ranges of sales increases. They seem pretty dramatic. Um, did you expect those kind of results? And, and uh, you know, do you think this will continue to grow over the next few weeks? Obviously, we don't know how long this is going to last. But what's your thought on that in terms of the actual sales uh, sales numbers that it's generated? Well, I think that I, I didn't expect to see the kind of uh, results we did on the 15th. I thought that was amazing. In fact, I have to be perfectly honest, uh, on the 15th itself, there was a, if you take yourself back to that day and we had our Global Mail article and, and, and the, uh, the premier had started some saying some grumblings about restaurants, I wasn't even sure if they were going to let our campaign roll. Mm-hmm. But then it did, and it made great this great, great feeling out there, and it and the sales just like went through the roof. It seems, or it's hard to tell though. It's hard to tell to say what the exact impact is going to be week over week. Uh, definitely, the first week we saw the biggest spike ever. The second week, uh, we determined that it was the busiest day. The the two days, the two takeout days had, had surpassed the busiest day, which was the Saturdays. Mm-hmm. We don't have a report yet on last week. And again, these type of reports usually don't come out the very next day. It's a gathering of lots of data from For sure. the delivery aggregators, from the POS systems, from the analysts and everything else. But everything we're seeing is showing an increase in sales. And it's showing an increase of hope, too, which has been really, you can't put a price on that. To hear about a restaurateur that said, I was closed and now I'm going to open up again, even just for takeout day to feel good and normal again. Or to, mm-hmm. to get on that first day, a picture sent to us from... Uh, Il Fernello in Toronto with a picture of all their chits saying, I just feel normal again. So you can't even put a price on that type of thing. No, it's been wonderful. Um, And I assume too, though, even, you know, takeout day is is technically on a Wednesday. I think the mindset is that people are just now thinking, oh yeah, I can order from my favorite restaurant throughout the week. So it's not just a one day uh, feeling here that's going on. It's, It's really spreading across the week, I would imagine. Yeah, it really is. It, it, it's really just to grab awareness around that one day, but then to also trickle down and all of our social posts and our community engagement and the rest of it always ladders to that day, but encourages take on on a general level. In fact, we have some press releases coming out around Mother's Day. They're working on a on a great make and take program for bar, uh, for the long weekend. So there's lots of pieces that will be woven into Canada Takeout as we go. That's why it wasn't called takeout day or Wednesday day at right. the takeout. So we'll have lots of opportunities. And as we see the market change, we'll be able to augment Canada takeout appropriately where we need it to, you know, drive that customer awareness. That's wonderful. Um, Marion, do you have a sense of, you know, how many restaurants are now offering takeout? Um, and have you seen, I guess, an uptick tick over the last few weeks as this initiative has, has grown? So I, I want to again, take you back to this map. Um, how and this is a map where we can um, uh, we can uh, sort of uh, put a number uh, next to the question of uh, how many operators are offering takeout. But let's go back to first how this map sort of came to be. There was um, there's a food writer in um, in Canada. His name is Sarish Doss, mm-hmm. and uh, he had started a a map uh, for the GTA, and we saw that map. And Sean gave him a call. And when we were starting to develop this and he was more than happy to have that map grow and turn that and he turned that over to us. So I really want to give him a big thank you. And he just and he really deserves a lot of. Yeah, Um, I'll jump in here too, Mary. And that that map at the time that we took it over from Sarish was about 700 people. And Sarish created the map and and we we've really brought this thoughtful 
thoughtfulness forward. He created the map that was, was a user-generated Google map that allowed users to connect with restaurateurs by simply finding them on a Google pin and going to their website. Mm-hmm. So that the restaurant operator, and this is what's key about Canada Takeout, the restaurant operator can then decide how they wish to facilitate the transaction. So whether you click on the restaurateur's website or link and it takes them to the Instagram or it takes it to a phone number or it takes it to a third-party aggregator or whatever it is. So that's really where that map hit. At, and that when Suresh had created it and we took it over, it was around 700. And now, Marion, across Canada, how many do listings yeah, do you think so- we have? Yeah. So what I was, let me just, uh, let me just circle back. Um, the, the, so the map, so when Suresh took the map from, a, from when Suresh sort of said, Hey, we're happy to share the map and the results. So where we brought it onto Canada takeout page, there was, I believe around 700. Mm-hmm. Um, and then since then we're now over 10,000 operators oh my goodness. on our map. Um, and from there we're seeing um, around around 2,000 to 5,000 visitors at any given moment on the website looking for takeout with about 40,000 visitors on takeout day on that map. And so what the other thing, so that's sort of like the growth of that. And we're, I'm imagine we're probably going to be about 12,000 at the end of the today, because I think there was a bunch of operators that sent in some, some, um, some restaurants to add to the other thing too, I wanted to mention is that with the operators and seeing the growth and understanding the numbers, we've, we've been getting a lot of uh, feedback from the op from these operators through uh, what we're doing. Um, we're, we're doing these um, email marketing to them because we now have this database on the back end and we're getting some, we're trying to get some feedback from them in terms of numbers. And Rosanna, it has been incredibly overwhelming. Well, we're like, it's, it's so much information. And so, yes, there's these concrete numbers, but when you hear testimonials, like, thank you for doing this. This is, I can pay my rent this month. Um, Incredible. Supersedes all of these other like tactical data numbers, because that's Mm -hmm. the real human story. Those are the things that like, honestly put tears in my eyes every day. Well, it does. And it's, um, you know, when you're seeing tangible results coming from it, you've given everybody new hope, which is, which is amazing. Um, I know myself, I was talking to a few operators a few weeks ago uh, who basically had said they weren't going to do takeout because their restaurant just didn't lend itself to that. And then, you know, three weeks after that conversation, some of those restaurant operators have actually jumped in and started doing takeout. And I'm sure it's been driven by the fact that they've seen others that have, you know, successfully gone into this. And, uh, and so it's really sparked a lot of interest across so many different segments. So, so good for you. I mean, the numbers are astounding. It's, it's, it's incredible. Now, obviously we, we can't, you know, predict the future. We don't know how long this is going to last. But we, we assume in Ontario we'll probably be working at home for the next several weeks from everything we've heard. If this crisis continues to last for a couple more months, um, how will this campaign continue and how might it change moving forward as we all start to re-enter the workforce at various different times? Well, this is a great question because it's, and it's super timely because only this week did we launch our phase three. So phase one was sort of our kickoff uh, launch campaign, which was the month of April. And during the month of April, we had, as you know, over six, well, close to six, 63 uh, partners, uh, companies and brands come on board and they, they did contribute financially to the April campaign sort of uh, launch month, we call it. Phase two is a sustained campaign, which is sort of the campaign that's going to continue to do all the things that we did throughout April. However, probably not as an intense level, but through May and June. So we have partners that have come back and re-contributed, which is fantastic. And we're also welcoming any other new partners that want to come on board. Um, And then our phase three is where we've had Brands ask us throughout April, I want to use the artwork. I want to put my logo on here. I would like to do, I would like to be part of some email marketing tactics. I'd like to be part of a blog post, which we launched recently. I'd like to be part, I would like to be more deeply involved. How can I do that? So we sat back and said, well, let's wait. Let's see how this campaign 
sort of this uh, Canada takeout kind of evolves. Let's keep an agnostic. And then through that time, it allowed us the ability to create sort of what we call a uh, custom programming um, element. And that is uh, what we're calling our sponsorship now. So this will allow us to continue more aggressively with our promotion and our advertising campaign with creating these theme weeks. So you're hearing it first <laughs> that we have created um, takeout day theme days. So Wonderful. for example, uh, this month we'll have a barbecue day. It'll have a burger day. Um, there's going Love to that. yeah. So there's going to be wing day, taco day, pasta day, pizza and beer day. So we're doing all these things because we understand that partners want to get involved more deeply. Um, and so more we have, thoughtful per category, which yeah, is really more nice thoughtful. too. Right. Yeah, it makes it more equitable for everybody. Right. So we can get yeah. the com- commodity. Board. We're trying to pivot as we're trying to pivot with it as quickly as we can. Like we've, we've acknowledged last week that there was the French fry scenario of, you know, no one ordering French fries and what can we do to really push, push that people to order, push, push that. And then, but you have to have a real hard look at why people aren't ordering French fries. And the truth of the French fry, as we all know, mm-hmm. they don't taste amazing when they're delivered. The truth of a French yeah. fry is it's best when it's hot out of the fryer, just almost too hot to touch in your mouth. But and when it's too cold, it's just not right. So how do you bring that experience together? Can you mobilize food trucks across Canada? And then can they drive into neighborhoods and sell French fries door to door? Is that possible? <laughs> what a great that idea. Can we, can we do that by next week? Can we, you know, but at the same time, we've been running at a thousand miles an hour to get this campaign going and then to try to run a thousand miles an hour faster to get that happening. So I think what they've been really, all the, all the partners and everyone else at, at the Canada Takeout Table have really taken a look at what we've got, slowed it down and said, okay, what can we do in three weeks from now? That's really more thoughtful and more agency and more driven by, you know, stats and data as opposed to diving straight in on it. So theme days are on their way. Wonderful. That sounds very exciting. Great, great innovation. So one of the challenges of takeout um, is that, you know, third-party aggregators charge obviously some commission fees for operators to take advantage of their services. And as we know, these fees range from anywhere, you know, 10 to 30%, the commission rates. They've obviously come under, you know, some sort of, well, they've come under attack over recent uh, weeks because operators feel that these commission rates are very high. And during a time when, you know, we're dealing with such challenges, really doesn't make sense for them to to have to uh, pay that on top of everything else. Um, And recently, last week, we heard Fedora is stopping operation in Canada. Um, what are you hearing from operators uh, about this whole area of commission rates and delivery fees? And are we starting to see a little bit of change coming on that front? Sean, maybe you can address that. Yeah, so I'm definitely fielding a lot of phone calls around delivery fees. Um, and I think part of the common consensus is that the space has changed. If you had a successful business, like most people did have a successful business, and you were able to run at 100% capacity in your kitchen during your dining hours, and you were clever enough and, and a good business person to turn on your, your delivery service an hour before and keep it going an hour after dining and then turn it on and off when things are kind of slow, it was a great little add-on piece of business for you. Of course. So to give 10, 20, 30% is fine. But then when you're put into a scenario where you are now reliant on takeout, which may be 50% of your business, and you still have to pay that fee. It really, it really does impact them. Um, so I'm hearing a lot of uh, a lot of talk around those type of scenarios, and I think that all of the delivery apps have to address it individually. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of brands turning off Uber and going to private delivery because they're yes. they're, they're local their local place, and you can do that easily because people are fine to call it in. And mm-hmm. that's really why we, you know, why we did take that map is we didn't want to get involved in the controversy. I think we all knew that was going to come. There's been, the, you know, the, the grumblings that are there now or that are loud now around delivery were grumblings prior to, to okay. COVID. So yes. having that map the way it is, it allows us to say, operator, the ball is in your court. You decide how you want to handle that transaction, whether you have one of your third party deliveries, you you call it in, you do your own website, whatever it is. So I, I'm seeing them up uh Pivot, definitely. I'm seeing restaurateurs pivot and there's a lot of information out there about it right now. So There is. And there's some social media campaigns also urging consumers to call direct and, you know, pick up or what have you. So, so interesting times. And I think we're going to see it really come together over the next few weeks as more of this unfolds. 
Um, yeah, and I think too, just to add to that too, I, I I think this is actually one of those things for the restaurateurs in some ways where uh, all press is good press. If that's what we're talking about this week is about turning off a, a certain app on on takeout day, at least, and then that gets out in the media, it at least tells the general consumer, hey, I got to take out and do my my restaurant. I, I have yeah. to call and and do an order, and that that'll help itself too. That's right. That's right. So as I said earlier, I, I, you know, none of us know how long this will, will keep going the way it is and how long this crisis will last. But um, Marianne, I know you've worked in, in restaurants for a large portion of your career. And obviously both of you are industry observers through your, uh, through your company. How do you imagine that restaurants will be forced to change in the future um, you know, to ensure that customers are comfortable to start going out again to restaurants because, you know, right now we're in this space where people are getting used to ordering online and having delivered, you know, food delivered. But once we're given the green light to go back to some kind of normal, maybe some consumers will be a little skittish and wanting to return to restaurants. How do you think restaurants are going to have to deal with this to, to ensure that there's a level of comfort and security in consumers? Well, it's interesting because what what rest what dining out is means is it's an experience. So we we yes we go to nourish ourselves, but we also go to experience and and socialize. So part of that experience is taken away. And so will restaurants, in my mind, may have to reconfigure that their dining room. Like mm-hmm. what does that physically look like? What does that, you know, is, does, is the pretty dining rooms with, with the incredible attention to detail, is that something that isn't as important as it is getting people in, in your space and ensuring that they're having some level of comfort? So I think it might start with the, that sort of that front of house experience. And then the back of house, I think will, will be really, the back of house will be dictated by who, who comes in the door. And the back of house, I think, I think it'll be more challenging for smaller kitchens. I think menus are going to have to change. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're going to see a different style. I don't know if communal dining tables are going to work. I don't know if sharing plates are going to work. Um, those things sort of in the immediate future are, are probably going to have to uh, be addressed. That you know, if you think of like sharing plates, like tapas style food, like that's part of what that culture is about, right? Of course. It so, changes the whole way restaurants yeah. are positioned. Going yeah. out for dim sum. Like you go for dim sum, you go out with a group and it's the the more people that's sitting around a dim sum table, the, the more exciting the menu is. Of course. Uh, I think spontaneous to- dining is going to end too. I think the idea of just let, let's go here, I think you're going to have to make reservations mm-hmm. uh, so that we're not lining up and that the, the kitchen can, can uh, social distance in the kitchen properly. Uh, I, I think the dynamic of all of it's going to change. I have my local bar that I go to for Taco Tuesday and I sit at the bar and I talk to the bartender. He gives me a beer. He gives me a shot. I get a taco and I talk to the guy next to me and whoever the guy next to me I'm talking to is a stranger one week to the next, but that's my experience. And I don't think right. any of those three things will ever happen again. Yeah, and I and, think and too, we're going to compartmentalize the, the, the roles in the, in the restaurant too. There will be someone in this scenario of this small taco place, my bartender, serves me my drink, also cleans my table, handles the transaction and delivers the food. I think for full safety, we're going to have all four of those things segmented out where someone will need to deliver the food. Someone else will handle a transaction. Someone else will take your order and that type of thing. So it's going to be a lot of changes coming. A lot, a lot of changes. And Marion, I know you've been a chef in your previous career too in the kitchen. You know, the kitchen is set up to have people working very close together. Yeah. Um, you know, how is that going to exist in this new normal that we're going into? I, mean, I think that's where it comes to this. Me- the menus are going to have to change. I think it's the I, it's, it's I think those chefs and those those individuals that can adapt and be willing to adapt, I think are really going to sort of rise to the top where you say like where you have dishes like I love, you know, I love like anyone else does, you know, intricate, creative plates, but I think those require so much labor and so many individuals to put them together. Mm-hmm. We're going to look, I think we're going to see a sort of scale down menus, uh, menus that are not going to require uh, those, all those many components with lots of hands on the dish. Um, you think well, the tweezers are going to get retired, Marion? Yeah. <laughs> might be on hold for a bit. Yeah. I think the tweezers be- will be used for other things. Yes, really. Yeah. 
Um, so do you think that in the new, in the immediate future of this whole journey, um, more focus will be put on takeout and pick up, you know, curbside delivery pickup as opposed to maybe actually going into a restaurant? Do you think, think that's what we're gonna, expecting? Yeah, I think that we're still going to see takeout be a very integral piece of their business because without it, I don't know if they're going to be able to to be able to continue to operate if they're already going to operate, if they're going to have to operate at 50% capacity, where's that rest of that uh, uh, income going to come from? It's going to have to come from something. So I think the kitchens may be divided between having, or maybe there'll be two stations. Maybe there'll be an area that strictly focuses on takeout menu and then there'll be a dining in menu. Yeah. And even the menu itself. I mean, you know, with, uh, we know how many hands usually touch menus. I mean, we're going to have to probably see disposable menus or chalkboard menus, you know, which, really also changes the way the restaurant operates, right? It's going to be so different from masks to gloves to plates. I've been fighting plastic for so long, and now I'm, we're going to be back in a, in a heap of it with disposable. To some degree, yes, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. So are there any um, new opportunities perhaps that restaurant operators could tap into within this new normal? I mean, the, the good side of a challenge is that sometimes it spurs a lot of creativity, and so can we expect maybe some different approaches that will come to the fore because of this challenge? Yeah, innovation definitely comes from constraints, for sure. I think that the biggest thing from a thousand foot view that everybody can look up, look at is that the distrib- during this crisis, the distribution model has been cracked and it has been broken and has been rebuilt. So I think if everybody thinks of how their product or their service falls into that place, and figures out how they can adapt and change from a restaurateur, maybe looking at yourself as a distributor. You know, we've seen grocery in the last five years try to take away from the restaurant experience yes. places like Italy and the Longos that are offering beer. That's not going to happen for a while. So yes. if, they've, if they've taken some of the restaurant business, how does the restaurant in turn take some of their business? And I think we're seeing it in a lot of that uh, take and make stuff that's happening where you can't deliver a taco. It doesn't show up very well, trust me. But if you deliver a taco kit with your seasoned beef and your shells and your yeah. and your cut and your cut tomatoes, you now have a golden experience. So I think we'll see a lot of that. If we just go back to looking at what the disruption the disruption is, it's in the distribution and see how it augments. Um, I think eggs are a great example. We have an egg, we have an egg client, it's a consumer-facing egg client. They're up in sales and People say, well, why can't you just sell more eggs? Well, you can't tell the hens to make more eggs. You can't, and you can't order more boxes right away. We have our yeah. food service eggs that need to go somewhere that come in those big trays. You can't drop that in the middle of a long goes. You need to no. move that around. So how do you become a distributor there? So lots yeah, of interesting I, things will unfold. No doubt. And I think you're absolutely right with uh, the, the meal kit types of approaches. I think restaurants are going to start competing more with, uh, with the grocery chains in different ways. Um, what, I guess, you know, to wrap up the, the podcast, what advice would you provide to restaurant operators during this downturn and, and also to, you know, the suppliers out in the marketplace that normally craft messages to appeal to restaurant owners and operators, because this has been such a trying and tumultuous time. And as you said, there's, you know, a lot of people lose their hope during this kind of a crisis. Can you offer them any, um, any bit of, you know, hope on the horizon and advice that you see? Did you want to go first, Sean? Well, I think we both have sure. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can, you know, I have to acknowledge that the restaurant, being a restaurateur is not always driven by your brain. It's driven by your heart. It's your passion to serve people and to really be a part of a community. Sometimes that's really hard. And if you don't feel like you can do that again, I completely understand if you need to step away from it or, or, or retool. And if you are going to retool, think about what that future looks like for you as a restaurateur. What made you happy when you were when you were doing what you were doing? And how can you change that to stay happy and to stay generating a revenue? Beyond that, I really can't give them any other any other advice. And then for the suppliers, and I think they're all doing it with this Canada takeout. There's been a lot of stuff that we've been researching since the uh, 9-11 and the other and the 2009 crash as to what brands did during those times. This is the time to be there for your customer, doing things like Canada Takeout, offering rebates, perhaps giving terms. And I know it's hard for all of us, but something just to be alongside with them and be ready with their change. If you see a change as a 
as a supplier that someone is doing something at one restaurant and your other client could benefit from that, tell them about it and share. Just keep doing what we've been doing with the sharing part of it. That's great advice, Sean. Marianne? Thank you. So I think to start, I would say that both operators and suppliers should take the time to listen and listen to their customers. So the operators should listen to what customers are asking for and what they want and suppliers should do the same. So from the operator perspective, take a look around. What normally would have worked may not work today. So for those that are steadfast and don't want to change, they may not be able to get out of this as quickly. I'm not saying they're not going to survive, but they may not be able to get to get ahead of this. For those that are listening to their customers of today, and if the customers of today are asking for um, uh, a change in menu items and are requesting, they, they need to listen to that. And then from the supplier's perspective, if the, if their, if their customers, if the supplier's customers are saying, you know, we our our operation doesn't require us to, like, I can't go through, uh, three, three, you know, three units of this because that's the minimum order. It might be time for suppliers to break their cases and to be able to say to their operators, look, we don't, we normally there's a minimum order. Normally there's a minimum quantity. We're able to adapt and make these changes because I think those suppliers will continue to be able to generate revenue because the operators are generating revenue. So there's a, there's a stream there. There's a need there. So that's sort of my input as to what we kind of need to. That's that's great advice because I think if uh, this crisis has taught anybody anything, it's that we all have to really come together to work together on this and we can't be as maybe proprietary and, and territorial as we all were in the past. So, so thank you uh, to both of you for those uh, great pieces of advice there. And um, on that note, I, you know, the time passes very quickly on these podcasts and I really uh, want to say a big thank you to both of you for being part of this today. I know there's a lot going on in your world and and you're doing so many great things. So thanks for taking the time, but also um, more than that, thank you both for your passion and, and for the, um, for all your efforts with your company, because you've really um, done a great uh, job on this whole initiative and not only just, you know, fueling it, but allowing the industry to come together as a community to really take it and run with it. So I know it's been a lot of work. I know it's a, it's a tough time, but, uh, but a big, big thank you to both of you and, um, and good luck in the future. And let's hope that uh, a few months down the road, we're all in a, in a better position than we are right now. Thank you. Stay safe. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Table Talk podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to rate and review our show. Also, make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button. For additional resources related to today's episode, please visit our website, foodserviceandhospitality.com. Until next time.